if you were going to spend 355 million pounds on some Olympic athlete training, I guess you'd want to have some kind of sense into where that money should be invested. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Squeezing the Orange of Social Science, a podcast hosted by myself, Akin Omobitan, and Professor Dan Cable. On each episode, the two of us pick apart peer-reviewed and published social science papers. I'm hitting these hard peas, man, and we squeeze them for their best bits so that you, the wonderful listeners, don't have to read all of this. And we know you won't read it. We know you won't read it. We love reading it, and we love talking talking about it. So we want to share it with you. What's up, Dan? What's up? Hey, Akin. Hey, hey, hey. Looking forward to discussing this one. It's a little bit of an odd article for us. It's, yeah. It's, it's the Great British Medalist pro- Project. <laughs> They're basically going to review all current knowledge on how to develop the world's best sporting talent man this feels like it's like if you just replace sporting talent with like military you've got a very you've got a very controversial project on your hands man some of this was eerily eerily nationalistic right i got a lot of the same vibes akin i mean this is an article that i read through obviously we had bruce daisley on the show Yes. And he's currently writing a lot right now about persistence and kind of what it takes to make it to the top and so mm. on and, and that sort of thing. And um, he had cited this article. So when I first went and kind of did a gander through, I thought, well, this is kind of up our alley. You know, this yep. actually fits because it's evidence-based, it's practical and so on. But my goodness, when I finished actually turning the last page, I thought this is like a national like a nationalistic tour de force it's like, like the, it's like a chest beating braggarting around how many golds did you get <laughs> this is what i really love about sports man i used to be like i used to be super big into sports right i was a massive football slash soccer fan and um arsenal were my team arsenal the Lon- north london north london delights and it just got to a point right where so much money came into the sport and I would watch Arsenal lose and seeing these players who were on like several, like tens of thousand pounds a week and watch them lose and seeing the fans being more upset than the players. And I was a bit like, man, I think I've probably spent way too much of my love and affection on this team. <laughs> and I did what, there's very few men who dared to do what I did. And I just, I just stopped supporting Stop. Arsenal. I just stopped one day. I was just like, I don't know why this commands so much of my emotional space. Right? It really commands a lot of emotional space. It really does. Also, um, okay, so that's true. And what that means in a national sense is it commands a lot of tax dollar. Mm. You because know, in this case, like for the Rio Olympics, three hundred and fifty-five million on just like the the training bit, you know, and it's just sort of really interesting to ask the question, like, wouldn't it maybe be better off building a bridge, or you know, just like if you got tax dollar, like put up a school? That's a pretty good looking school for three hundred fifty-five million. Imagine. <clears throat> Imagine if we turned up like outside like <laughs> school sites and people just gathered to watch schools being built and just cheered them on, just cheered on like bricklayers, teachers, oh like, come on, you know, providing a better future for our youth. Come oh on, man, you can do it. It's like, like <laughs> you got it. 
You got this. <laughs> yeah, how about a world record school? How about we start constructing <laughs> a world record school? <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm the wrong guy because I routinely emasculate myself by saying things like, I don't watch much sport when it's like the World Cup and stuff like that. Like, I routinely am seen as less than because, for example, when I was in North Carolina, University of North Carolina, I just didn't care about basketball. And <gasps> people would look at me like, what? <laughs> <laughs> almost like not even human. Like you're definitely not a man. I'm not sure you're human. If you keep talking that way, you're right out this door. <laughs> you're like a, you're like a conscientious objector during like, you know, I just don't believe that we should be going to fields and killing one another. And people are like, but the flag. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and there very much is that when it comes to, because um, like, you know, like supporting Arsenal at a local level, that's very much like an individual choice. Like I have found a reason why I wish to fight other men in pubs. But like when it comes to like the, the Olympics and like the, the world championships, there's something a lot more, well, I guess it's obvious, it's obviously a lot more permeating where it's a bit like, oh, that dude's going to throw that javelin for my country. Well, obviously I want him to throw it the furthest. And people get, we, people get so passionate about this that we of course now have the Olympics, the world championships, there's the winter Olympics, but there's like the indoor Olympics, just all of these reasons to cheer on individuals who have reached elite levels of physical excellence. I'm glad you brought up that word elite because this paper really uses that as it goes through the treasure trove of evidence out there in the world. I mean, there's a whole lot of evidence on this. But what they basically did is they looked at what moved people from being non-elite, which were like competing below national levels. So like right off the bat, these are going to be more fit than you, me, or like 97% of the people listening, right? The ones that are in their low end would basically outrun us. I mean, in every possible way. <laughs> it's kind of odd how you can have like these like peak performing athletes, but like you have to separate them from individuals who are who are better than the best. Yes, so like for a lot of people, yeah. So like because like you know like I'll kick back and I'll watch like maybe like the men's hundred meter sprint, and the dude who comes last has probably done it in around like ten seconds. So he's he's running like. Like fast, as if like as if he's being yeah. chased by like bullets, like these, and they're coming in last, and they're disappointed, and it's like, oh, I'm only able to run a hundred meters in ten point eight nine seconds. I'm a yeah. failure. And there's people like on their on you know sat down on the sofa who are watching this dude, and they're like, Boo! you're so slow. Why can't you do it? You know, they're rustling the the crisp bag. You know, they got a beer. <laughs> so on that end of the continuum, we've got these ones called the, the non-elites, and then it goes to the junior elite. So these are like at the international level already. That's still, that's still the junior elite. The elites, now we're talking senior international level, and then what they're focused on in this paper are the super elites, which are mm. you must win a gold medal. If you've right? got the bronze, don't knock here. That is like, that is insane, man. Like, you know what? Like as much as, as much as I have shifted from being sports obsessed to kind of like, you know, take it or leave it. 
being like being able to lift more than any other person that is a pretty big deal like <laughs> there's still a bit of a dude in me you see right <laughs> so it's like i'm still very much impressed it's like wow you can throw that metal ball so far farther than anyone like that's a pretty that's a decent brag like no one no one can dive off of this height with more grace than i can like but we're talking gold like these this is like so i guess what they wanted to look at is what does it take in terms of like training and development, there's a bit of like a HR term in, we'll like yeah. throw that in there so it still sounds yeah. very business-like. But in terms of learning and development, because like imagine this is something that organizations, like you kind of have a budget each year and you're a bit like, okay, so we want to throw a certain amount of money into the learning and development of the people who work here. And maybe if you're a parent and you've like, you've got like a a kid who's interested in loads of different things, you're a bit like, okay, then realistically in terms of money and time, I can afford for the kid to maybe have this instrument, this sports activity, maybe teach them a foreign language. But at some point your resources start to diminish somewhat like you have to yep. spread them yep. and so they're, they're looking at well if we want to produce like you know gold medalists and we want to produce more of them and we're being given these budgets of like hundreds of millions in terms of like policymakers, in terms of coaches where should that money be going and also if they're reviewing existing research what should they be focusing on and what yeah. could they possibly do with dismissing so in that sense it was like it was pretty dope. They got like people working in sports. There was like um, uh, researchers. There were like policymakers, coaches. There was like loads of individuals. Like that's probably why we didn't say all of the names off the top on this episode. Yeah. But quite a lot of individuals were reviewing a lot of these things to be like, well, what can and can't you or what should and shouldn't yeah. you be yeah. focusing on if you're going to put your resources into developing like winners these humans yeah these human winners yeah. that's exactly right and what i what akin and i talked about doing this is there'd be sort of in a weird way too many things to tell you if we try to go through the whole paper because frankly it's not a study it's hundreds of many many studies and books and uh, you know, whatever, uh, facts about what's happened in the world. But what we did, what we thought you might find interesting, dear listener and watcher, is we each have picked out like two things that we were a little bit surprised or intrigued by, and we haven't shared those with each other yet. Mm. So, Akin, do you want to sort of yank out your first sort of fun fact, something you read that was like fact-based? I mean, this is all evidence-based, right out of real studies, basic research. What was something that surprised you that you'd like to share with them and with me? Yeah, this one was a bit of a reminder more than a surprise. So we can kind of like dance this one back and you might be familiar with it. Like a few years back, I read Outliers by mm. uh, Malcolm Gladwell because I was trying to figure out what is wrong with me and why am I not an outlier? Yeah. <laughs> like I shall read Malcolm Gladwell's Outlier and then become an outlier. Like every other man and woman <laughs> on the planet. That's best, how I bestseller. <laughs> See, this is not a good outlook. <laughs> must read it faster let me see but like what i thought was like pretty dope because in the book outliers he, he talked a bit about uh, sports people and it was this idea of how some of the best athletes that we see today part of it is that they were they kind of got lucky in terms of when they were born so it's this idea of with the academic year so in like western societies that's typically from september right around to uh, the following summer 
And so when we're younger, we, we develop it like a lot happens in a short space of time. So it, as a, a kid who was born in September could end up having a significant cognitive and physical advantage over a kid who was born in July. My birthday is July 31st. And I read that book and I was like, damn it, this is why I'm not playing for the NBA jam or whatever basketball team there is. But like, I found it really interesting how because of that, there is, I, I, I wanted to like wrestle it, I guess, a bit with you, Dan, because I guess if you're picking, if we're talking sports and you have 20 kids, you've got 20 kids who are really eager and we'll just use sprinting as an example, like any sport where like it, there's an objective winner. So nothing that needs to go to the judges. But if you're just talking about who jumped the highest, who ran the furthest, who ran the fastest, as a coach, you're kind of, you're going to go with whoever, there's going to the be winners. numbers. Like, yeah, you're like, okay, well, these kids just keep winning. So like, and I guess in Outliers, Gladwell was explaining how what this does is it, it means that those kids end up getting more coaching, more one-to-one time. And I imagine more psychologically, confidence. there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about that as well then. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a really important and cool thing. Even when you're thinking about as a parent, putting your kids in a little late, you know, holding them back a little bit that those ideas of sort of like there are choices. And if they were a whole year older, they might be dominant both from athletic prowess perspective, but also in the classroom itself, because, you know, like the maths would probably come a little easier if you're a year older and, you know, brains develop and then cognition follows. But anyway, I actually think that that's a pretty cool one, Akin. And if I'm remembering right, you tell me what part of it you found most interesting. What I got out of reading this is like, yeah, that's still, they call it relative age effect that really does exist for loads of these different um, sports, but not in all of them, right? There were a couple of them where it didn't seem to be associated with when you were born. I think what, what I was noticing as well is, and this is pretty, I found this pretty interesting as well. It, there seems to be a distinct difference when it comes to team sports versus individual sports. And mm. so like the, the idea of having other individuals around you. So like, uh, I'm not really that, I'm not massively knowledgeable about American football, but knowledgeable enough to know that like the defense, you need the big, heavy, strong, weighty dudes. But from what I've observed, the quarterbacks are usually like light and quick. So, th- so there is something about being able to like identify like those differences Mm-hmm. in in players and so it was i guess kind of like tailing back to this this idea about like age and like the the potential that it has one of the things i find is that they were trying to maybe defend that as in saying like don't necessarily see this as yes. the solution because i guess it's not ne- it's not a it's it's like an element but probably not the strongest predictor i think that's a really good way to think of it that it has a certain validity there is an all else equal. They seem to do better in a lot of sports, but like, for example, yes to ice hockey, yes to baseball, obviously both United States and uh, in this particular uh, study, but not American football. And so Mm. just this idea that it kind of depends on the sport and that it isn't that weighty of a factor anyway, but it is one of those ones that's very intriguing, which is probably why you picked it. It, It's just intriguing to think that as a parent, as a coach, you can kind of think about it as a predictor of whether or not you're going to end up being a gold medalist. I mean, 
that's really an interesting fact that by knowing that you're like a September kid and not a July kid, I know you're less, you're more likely to get a gold medal. <laughs> Which requires, like as a, as a coach, uh, it requires you to be able to look beyond things which are just clearly apparent. So like you can see who's tallest, you can see who's strongest. You might be able to see who crossed the finish line first. Like you would be able to see that. However, are you also as a coach able to see who came last and keeps coming last, but keeps turning up? Like who is losing and they're, they might be losing every week, yeah, but they're, they're, there you go. There you yep. go. Yeah. I was going to bring up my, my first Ooh, one Go for here. it. Yes, please do. Well, this was just downright almost shocking to me. <laughs> I'm a big fan of intrinsic motivation. For me, the concept of the fire that burns from within, that drives you through the rain and through the grit and through the hard times of, you know, lifting weights and ripping up your body. I'm a big fan of like that. This is interesting. They found that elite athletes, so these are people that won a gold medal, they have higher levels of extrinsic motivation Mm. and lower levels of intrinsic motion, uh, motivation than these so-called less accomplished athletes. Like those yeah. idiots that win like a bronze. <laughs> <laughs> oh, silver? <laughs> no, not super lead here. Thanks for showing up. Take that home. Hang it on your wall. <laughs> of shame. Anyway, um, what they found is this, this obsessive, contr- like controlling passion Um is like a stronger predictor of deliberate practice. And like therefore, according to this, those that did the very, very best were not what they call harmonious passion, which is like intrinsic self-determined, but more like they want to win because they want to look good to other people. Mm. And I mean, listen, I wouldn't have thought that, A, that's not predicted to me, but the data, I mean, they cited like, I don't know, five different studies that have like shown this phenomenon. So to be honest, I think that was really just worth mentioning uh, because it's a little surprising. What was your reaction to that one, Akin? Uh, well, I was, I, was, I was trying to wrap my head around it. It made, it made sense. And what I'll do is I'll ramble about it a little because it links to the next one that I want to discuss as well. But what, what, what was great about these is, is like I, I can totally see the personality behind that one. Because I, w- I was linking that one both with that intrinsic, um, uh, I guess, reward, uh, extrinsic, sorry. That, uh, so like, you know, the push coming externally. Yeah. And I was kind of linking that with, you know, like pushy parents. And yeah. part of it being like them wanting to look good in front of others, but then also them not wanting to look bad in front of others and Both possibly are like, yeah, yep. yeah. So just that idea of what value is there in a pushy parent or a pushy coach? Cause I guess some people's personalities would lean towards that squeezing more out of them, which then leads the conversation of, well, is that in their best interest? Like, is it worth getting a gold medal if it means that you spend up until, I don't know, your early to mid twenties, just being psychologically abused to be a winner? Yeah. It's a great question. And the way you just asked that is why I think I find it so interesting, which Mm. is if you start a study, if you start down the path of let's do a study on who wins the gold, then you might get to this point of saying, well, that's kind of nice. That That extrinsic motivation is pretty sweet. That's a dumb criteria. 
Like in my mind, you know, in my mind, that's not a way to judge life. Um, you may have a gold one. I may have a silver one. Both performed. Both did a lot of cool stuff. Um, I was happier the whole time where you were like looking around, feeling worried and kind of anxious about waiting all the time. So that's actually really cool. And it kind of just cleared it up for me why I found that a bit counterintuitive, if you will. Yeah. Okay. So over to you, Akin. What's your next one? Well, the next one as well, like just to kind of like tail off of that point as well, it is fascinating how like our competitive drive as a species is strong to the point where someone can be the second best in the entire world at something and feel like a loser. You're like, that is just, it boggles me like to feel unfulfilled and I never reached my potential and there was always... (laughs) It's insane. Like, come on, you did you're doing great. Like, come on, man. Like, like my oh go ahead. Do you remember we covered that one paper by Tom Gilovich? And it was like people that wear black in sports are more aggressive. Yep. He had this one study where he looked at the second it was announced who got gold, who got silver, and who got bronze, they screenshotted that and then showed it to people who had no idea. And what they learned is that the golds were, of course, the happiest, but second happiest were the bronze. Mm, I've heard about this. The least happy like- were the silver because the bronze are like, I got one. Yeah. And the yep. silver, like, I could have been a winner. Yeah, it's, <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, the other one I wanted to throw at you, which I found real interesting, actually. Like, so there was a, there was a couple sentences here, which was, there is evidence at non-elite level for the influence of narcissism on performance. Narcissists have an inherent, albeit unrealistic, belief in their ability, but this self-belief may well facilitate very high levels of performance under pressure. So similar to your previous one, Dan, this was us having like socially, narcissism, at least from my perspective, narcissism bad. Narcissism bad. Don't it's be one of the dark trades. Right? Yeah. Call it the dark triad. Yeah. Like Machiavellianism. Yep. Uh, narcissism. Yeah. And being a psychopath <laughs> as well. But like, <laughs> and so we look at, and I was like, boy, looking, they can run fast. Huh? <laughs> they, they can run so fast, those narcissists. But I, I found it so fascinating how, especially when it comes to like competition, um, I've like, you know, after I stopped uh, watching uh, as much football, I, and I then ended up watching like more boxing and mixed martial arts. And it's really interesting when you, when you watch like the buildups for the fights and the promotion for it, because the, the full ego of the fighters is allowed and it's encouraged to present itself. We want to know what you are going to do to the other person's face. And then to the other person, we want to know how you yes. feel about what that person said they're going to do to your face. And like, it's really fascinating watching individuals be given the platform to just be like, just tell us how good you are at smashing someone's face. In your we own words, know. <laughs> Yeah, it'll take your time. And it's like they're encouraged. They have like these face-offs. And so it's really fascinating, this idea of with narcissism, like even to the point where it's not even realistic, having a deluded opinion of yourself can push your performance to the point that even people that hate you and want to see you get your face smashed, just having that an, an unrealistic, almost like a placebo. Yes. Like in a weird yes. kind of like way. A self-fulfilling prophecy mm, kind of vibe. Yeah. Where it's like, because I have this confidence, I'm not anxious. 
And because I'm not anxious, I not only project that confidence, but I actually probably act a little bit more um, aggressively, you could say. I'm yeah. less hesitant, right? Yeah, yeah. Which reminded Very me cool. of our, the study we covered on the anxiety versus yes. uh, anxiety versus excitement. excitement. And yeah. that ability to yeah. have a physiological reaction. So they're both very similar, anxiety right. and excitement. You Physically, you will feel very similar. But if you're able to channel it more yeah. towards excitement, then uh, improve performance. So yeah, Dan, do you have like a, a final one as well? I got one more. I got one more. And it has to do with this early specialization question. And it has to do with like, is it better to be like Tiger Woods' parents where from age like two, you just put them into golfing or you just put them into football or just put it. And like, that's it. You just do that the whole time. And then you get your 10,000 hours and you know, another sort of big idea. And then they become the best in the world. And they found no, almost no evidence that that's the way it works. Mm. They found that sampling seemed to be a better predictor. And so this is a quote, the evidence at non-elite, junior, elite, and super elite. So at all four levels suggested that many athletes have not progressed just in that one discipline, but they practiced multiple sports during childhood and adolescence. And like all these data points, they went through all these different studies that the potential costs and risks associated with that early specific practice, like if you just get into one, that there's all this like there's less enjoyment. There is more um, restricted activities outside of sports. So like you, you're not developing your brain as much in some ways, um, exhaustion, overuse injuries, increased uh, risk of dropout in the sport. So like there's all these downsides to early specialization, but they didn't find much upsides. And I mean, again, if you're a parent and for whatever reason you think that the thing you need to do is get your kid to be like a gold winning Olympiad, let them play. Right. It's yeah, like, let them play. Let them try shit out. That was the highlight for me of that one that you mentioned. Even in their studies, I say even as if, I think I say even because there does seem to be a lack of appreciation in the value of play. And so it's this idea that like enjoying yourself cannot possibly yield any positive returns. <laughs> like if you're enjoying yourself, you're clearly not doing something right. <laughs> like, so it's it was really like when you truly lose the plot on life and you right? start to think of it as like, well, I must not be happy because I don't have any gold medals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. Man, Any, this was, anyway, this has actually been really fun. It was such a different kind of article for us. In a way, it was kind of a nice break because rather than reading methodologies, it's almost more like a meta-analysis of what mm. we know about like athletes that win the highest levels. So I found it kind of interesting, but definitely a, a joy to chat with you about it. Oh, totally. And listeners as well. This one's a really quick read, actually, and it's very, very much overviews. And not to worry if you're not even super big into sports. There's a lot of like translatable or translatable, transferable uh, uh, talking points here. But the title, once again, The Great British Medalist Project, we'll include it in the description and whatnot. And you can skim through this in probably like half an hour, an hour of reading. And there's definitely gems, like I say, which could transfer into parenting, um, leadership, 
um, just different areas of life. This has been a blast. Thanks once again, Dan, for uh, for, uh, for rocking. This has been uh, help me help me get those lungs going with some good laughter there as well, man. Uh, listeners, we are on iTunes, and we would love for a shiny five star review uh, that will help bump us up like different ratings and um, and different things like that as well. And also, once again, if you see us post on social media, uh, it'll be dope if you gave us a uh, a share as well. Well, just so that we can, I wanted to do a shout out as well. I'm just going to take like a, a second more, Dan, because I think, and I want to quickly double check, I'm getting the name right. Yeah, I want to give like a super shout out to uh, Carla Scopeci, Carla Scopice. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, so I'm messing that up entirely. Uh, but Carla's always showing heaps of love, especially on LinkedIn, sharing it with the community as well. Thank so I know you, Carla. we definitely bagged some, uh, some more listeners there. So with that said, I think we're about to dip, right? You ready to get out of here? That's it. Thanks, nice. everyone. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Ciao.